Welcome to the Sales Prospector Show, supported by Lease, a sales rep, ending 5,000 company, helping our clients grow sales by securing guaranteed appointments, qualified leads, and guaranteed contracts for their services and products across the U.S. I'm your host, Gil Pagan. You can find us on all social media channels and at leasealesrep.com. Thank you for listening in. It's going to be a great one today. Oh yes, uh, it's gonna have. We're gonna have a great conversation today, and I just love doing this kind of stuff, uh, talking about innovation and technology and ways to do things uh, better, uh, particularly in the healthcare space, one of the verticals that we play in. And um, I enjoy talking to uh, smart people. And uh, I got a guy um, that we're gonna talk about right now, and his name is Dr. Mark Kestner. He is the, I believe, the chief innovation officer of MediGuru. Uh, which is uh, an interesting platform, and they provide a software solution, and uh, we're, we're looking to talk about that, and we're going to um, talk a little bit about his background. We're going to get into some of the, the technical stuff, but you know, I wanted to invite here Mark to talk about the things that he's working on, and Mark, welcome to the show. Thank you. It's good being here. Yeah, yeah. We're looking forward to a, to a great conversation. Listen, tell us a little about um, you know, your background. I mean, you're, you're a physician- by training, right? You know, uh, clinically. I mean, you got other other background stuff, but uh, uh, you know, you're a doctor by training, and you got MD after your name, right? Uh, right. Doing some interesting technology stuff. So, share with us a little bit about that 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 history and and about you, and then we'll get into the the mechanics of everything that you're working on right now. Yeah. So I did my undergraduate degree. I was studying to be an engineer, and happened to apply to medical school, and got in. And uh, University of Michigan was trying to put kids back in the Upper Peninsula of Michigan where I lived as primary care physicians. Well, I guess I had a different idea about that. Uh, I ended up becoming a general surgeon, uh, joined the army for fun, practiced medicine in the army for about seven, eight years. Uh, then was a trauma critical care surgeon because I did a trauma fellowship during my army training. Um, did that for a couple of systems and then became went into healthcare administration while I was still a physician. So I was a chief medical officer, chief quality officer, chief innovation officer in a multiple health systems across the United States. Um, and when one day while practicing as a trauma surgeon, I basically got fed up with everything being broken around me and that healthcare um, needed to change. So I quit clinical medicine, got my MBA, spent a year um, studying physician engagement at Gallup University, figuring the only way we were gonna get any better is to get physicians on the team. Uh, was a chief medical officer at a number of healthcare systems, again, across the United States. I ultimately went into consulting with a bunch of uh, engineers uh, and finance guys um, and developed what we called Air Traffic Control Center for Healthcare to help throughput. Mm -hmm. Did that for about five years um, and then went into venture capitalism, or venture capital groups, uh, where we uh, focused on the business of healthcare. What are the solutions for the business of healthcare? Um, went through a couple of acquisitions and then suddenly ended up with Mediguru. And the reason I ended up with Mediguru is because I had implemented telehealth solutions in a number of healthcare systems across the United States, but they were always in the insurance sphere. Um, how do you lower costs for the insured population, whether you're a self-insured employer, whether you're selling your services 
to other large healthcare systems or other large employer groups. Um, so when the pandemic hit, none of those solutions in my mind were built for clinical care delivery, nor was the model of care delivery appropriate. And so the timing for joining Mediguru I felt was uh, perfect because basically we are building it from the ground zero in delivery systems. Wow. You know, that, that's interesting. Um, just the background uh, story of working in, in healthcare as a provider and, um, you know, the Hippocratic Oath, right? Do no harm, right? right? And taking care of patients, right? Uh, and then uh, flipping um, into other, you know, technology kind of roles and innovation, CIO and that kind of thing, and then going VC, which, you know, the, they have that terminology that they don't like as much, but some of them call it true and accurate, the vulture capitalists, right. right? And they're about, so you're about, not you, I'm saying in general, you know, doctors providing care, taking care of the patient. And then the VCs are trying to get as much dollar and squeeze as much revenue and, you know, out of that ad so they can get an exit, right? Make a lot of money right. and an exit. Then you got the insurance people who want to give you, you know, the, the, the care because they want to hold back as well. So you've kind of touched a little bit of everything there, uh, you know, going into something you're doing right now, which brings a very interesting perspective, you know, right? Because right. you've done a couple of different things uh, in you know, seven, eight years and, and here and then a few years there and very fascinating um, uh, story. Right. Uh, very, very interesting story. Um, thank you uh, uh, for sharing that. And, um, you know, uh, Mediguru, um, you know, when we started talking initially, uh, we had this conversation around, you know, EMRs and, and technology and, and the like. So uh, tell us a little bit about um, Mediguru and uh, actually the simplest way in, you know, to understand it uh, for our audience. Uh, and um, and I'll, I'll may interject on some of the questions there, you know, when you're sharing, because uh, our thought will come to me and, you know, uh, and I don't want to lose it make sure that our audience catches it. Go ahead. Yeah. So. What we do is we provide customized software solutions that are white labeled based on your workflow or what we would consider to be an optimal workflow. And so we spend a lot of time with clients walking through their processes. The other thing that we recognize is that you can't change everything all at once. Mm -hmm. uh, the human mind uh, and healthcare won't tolerate it. So we follow the tenets of the diffusion of innovation which means you empower a small group of people to design a new process, uh, you test it, and then you diffuse it. And so we, I, I always like to say, we're the external force causing people to change, but unless you have an internal champion, somebody who's well-known that can be the change agent in an organization, um, we probably are wasting our time with that, with that client. And so we're very particular about number one, checking, uh, the box to make sure that the organization is ready for change and that they have a change agent at the top. The other thing that we're doing is we're looking at all of the neglected areas of healthcare, um, primary care clinics, uh, people that are now going at risk, um, skilled nursing facilities, palliative care. We're looking at all the areas that we think we could add value uh, to the care delivery model. And ultimately, it's the direction that we're going in the U.S. to overall improve the quality and decrease the cost of care. Mm. So if people are interested in that conversation, I think we can have provide a solution for them. 
what typically promotes the change, you know, in in the organization, right? So um, if we're looking at uh, healthcare delivery from a entry point of primary care, and you're getting into a uh, to seeing a doctor for your annual checkup, right? Or you're going into a specialty, you know, provider, let's say cardiologist, uh, dermatologist. They have a workflow, right? You call, you go online, one or two the options, and you set your appointment. You walk in, that you see the front desk person, usually a clerk. Uh, they take your insurance, make sure everything's verified, take your ID, uh, you know, and then they send you, you know, put you in the waiting room, then they put you into the exam room, right? So there's mm-hmm. a workflow. Medical assistant comes in, talks to you, uh, may take your pressure, touchy feely, touchy feely, right? And then, uh, and then uh, they, they say, well, doctor, be in in a minute. All right. So doctor comes in. Right. So there's a there's a process. Right. right. Uh, workflow. So where do you guys come in? And I know you want to you just shared you kind of gave a disclaimer. So we want to work with people that are that are looking to change their process. Right. Uh, and, they, and then have a, a champion inside. So how do right. they even know they got to change the process? That makes sense. Yeah. So I, I think um, first off, the customer is going to make us change because the customer's expectations have changed. You mean the patient? The patient or the customer, right? Right. And so the idea of the old workflow of the waiting room, that's a waste of time, Mm -hmm. right? You should have been able to fill out all that paperwork before you ever got there. You should have gotten an email. You should have gotten an appointment time. Um, You should check in virtually, Mm -hmm. right? And you should walk into the office and go directly to an exam room. Mm -hmm. Um, you should have access to a member of the team to answer any questions without having to go up to the desk clerk. And in fact, you know, our goal is to eliminate steps along the way to streamline the process and to use, um, to use all the tools we would use in a virtual visit in a real-time visit and sort of provide hybrid type of care delivery model. Um, and so I think, you know, the, the client is, or the patient is going to force change. And then uh, the pandemic has forced all of us to look at how we do things and can we do it better and safer. And I think that's gonna go on for a period of time. And the good news is um, the pandemic has forced change within the system. Um, That's probably the only good news about the pandemic, but I do think um, it has forced us to make sure that we're leveraging every member of the care team. Um, You know, the um, American College of Surgeons, or excuse me, the AMA has estimated that we'll be um, 130,000 physicians short by 2030. So we better make sure everybody's life is much more efficient Mm. and using tools that will improve our efficiency. Otherwise we're not gonna have enough uh, surgeons, or excuse me, physicians going into the future. So you're banking on, again, I said the bank, the Mediguru, right? The, the model of, of the change being pushed by the, by the patient, by the customer, the consumer, the client, us, right? Mm-hmm. You're, I'm sure you, although you could probably diagnose yourself, probably, you know, but you know, you're, I'm sure you have a physician that takes care of you and, and that kind of thing. So we will move the, the practices, the service delivery to our needs, right? Uh, and, and I guess... The, 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 the follow-up question I have to that is because um, when I was running um, uh, primary care centers and ambulatory surgery centers and ERs in another life um, as an administrator, um, we were always trying to get as many patient visits in to the doctor's schedule so that we could bill. Okay, that, that was 
That, I'm calling it, calling it what it is. Ignore the music. Ignore the music. There you go. <laughs> uh, so that said, um, it wants to go on again. Uh, we're having a great time here. So um, it was trying to get as many visits into the doctor, you know, so, so that we could bill and, and obviously be profitable and cover our overhead and all those kind of things. Um, so the, my question to you is, I'm, I'm assuming if we're streamlining this process and it's driven by the consumer, right, where they go straight into the doctor's office, the exam room, and they're, they're not waiting in the waiting room, in theory, me, former administrator, would like to say, well, they could probably see more patients. Is that a fair assessment? Right. So, you know, the may not like that, but <laughs> no, well, I, you know, the interesting thing is that um, seven out of 10 physicians are now employees. That's a right. huge right. shift, right? Yep. And so as an employee, they have to be managed. Mm -hmm. So you have to have the, and the, and engaged. And the most important factor to engage in the workforce is empowering their manager to give feedback to mm -hmm. that employee. Mm -hmm. And so if a physician needs to improve their throughput and you have the data to show it, mm -hmm. then that's valuable, invaluable feedback. Um, mm -hmm. I, at one point in my career was the medical man or the medical director for the hospital services at the Loveless Clinics, which was an integrated delivery system. They were all employees. The driver of behavior in the uh, Loveless Clinics was far different than the driver of behavior when I went out into private practice. Mm -hmm. um, out in private practice, it was to make money. Right. Um, when you're an employee, you're trying to provide optimal care. An employee in a capitated environment. And as, as increasingly employed physicians are going to allow a healthcare system to transition to at-risk contracts which is basically going to be what the future holds. Wow, yeah, that's, um, that's interesting. You're right, I forgot there was a lot of the doctors are now uh, employee. Um, they used to call them hospitalists. Uh, those are the right. ones that are at the hospital. Uh, but you have other ones that, that practices have been absorbed by healthcare systems and they're basically salary docs. Right. Um, right, okay. Um, but I would think that, um, I mean, maybe, maybe correct me, I'm, I'm wrong, that there's still a, I know the hospitals are not for profit. I, I get it. Most of them are anyway, with the exception of the for-profit chains. <laughs> right. That that you could that 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 salary doc, they want to maximize the efficiency of that doc. I mean, that's fair. So so I think you know, for primary care clinics, increasingly they are banding together and not being associated with a health facility. So you're seeing large primary care networks um, that basically um, may or may not use the hospital services. Uh, increasingly, uh, the CMS and a lot of the insurance are not are, are making procedures that used to be money making procedures for inpatient, mm -hmm. outpatient procedures. Mm -hmm. And ambulatory surgery centers are now efficiently delivering care that used to be only inpatient care. Mm -hmm. So I think, and, and I think another sort of interesting factoid is that pharmacies are now employing physicians. So you have CVS Pharmacy who has a large primary care physician group and they're going to maximize that physician group and support the practice with nurses and pharmacists as compared to the physician, you know, coming up with a solution all on their own. So I, I don't know that the, the future of medicine is necessarily gonna be hospital-based um, it's going to be outpatient based and how that is supported will be dependent on that employer. Wow. That's fantastic. Yeah. And for the, for our audience who don't know this, I know the healthcare people will know 
CVS owns Aetna. Mm -hmm. Aetna is an insurance provider. CVS has walk-in clinics. So you could see where they're going with all of this kind of, you know, ambulatory care, which has been moving primary care into the ambulatory environment for years and different locations, urgent care and all that. You can see where they're going from a strategic perspective, control the patient, better care, lower cost, you know, all that kind of stuff, you know, get them into a, they're paying rent anyway for the CVS facilities that where they're, where they're renting space. So might as well <laughs> maximize that, right. That environment. Um, so I, I know you are, um, you're writing, a. a um, you know, a, a paper around, you know, hybrid uh, care delivery, right, which I had the, the benefit of reading. Thank you for sharing that interesting terminology, right? Uh, and that typically, um, for the audience, typically, uh, telehealth, uh, telemedicine that, that has been growing, has been growing before the pandemic, but exploded during the pandemic, um, is was really more of a kind of a backup option, secondary option to the office visit. We typically mm -hmm. go in and see the doc, you know, nurse practitioner, um, PA, and we get diagnosed, we get a prescription, we go out. Um, that's typically the way healthcare is kind of structured. Uh, and then if you can't make it for some reason, a televisit was kind of scheduled in your approach, thought process is that this, is, this new era of providing care is going to be that telemedicine is going to be an option, not necessarily a backup. So... Uh, talk a little bit about that and how that you see that happening in healthcare. Yeah, so I think you know virtual care for the uh, provider space during the pandemic really became a bolt-on of multiple solutions that were never designed to deliver care uh, virtually uh, as primary care visits. And so what we're trying to do is sort of take the best of virtual care. And, and see if we can't marry that to, and make it so similar to an in-person care so that both of them are walking in parallel. So what I mean is whatever tool you're using for virtual care, you're also using for uh, an in-person visit. Uh, that we're gonna blend the both of them together. So as an example, the waiting room is the example, you know, let's, let's blow up the waiting room on an inpatient visit and use the tools that we use for a waiting room as a virtual care visit. When the physician sees you, let's make sure they're only looking at one screen for whether it's a virtual visit or whether it's an in-person visit. Let's make sure that you're auto-transcribing and translating and auto-dictating the note with the same tools as an inpatient visit, as well as a virtual care visit. You're, mirror, you're mirroring everything. You see. Exactly. Wow, okay. And so we don't want to duplicate. We want to make sure that we're using one uh, tool for both instances. Um, and I think, you know, as, as we evolve, it's going to be apparent that you can manage a lot of people virtually and that the reason to have them come into the office is going to end up being few and far between. Mm -hmm. There was recently a paper that came out that said people with diabetes or congestive heart failure or chronic diseases do extremely well if they have virtual visits as compared to what they historically did was go into the office and wait. <laughs> um, they can be managed virtually and maybe just need one visit a year, if wow. that. Think about the, the, the shift and you shared in your, in your paper that it's gonna take a couple of years, almost like the implementation of EMR and EHR took years 
for it to happen and financial incentives, by the way, by the government to push <laughs> providers to adopt that, right? And then penalize people if they didn't do it because of like, you know, the carrot and the stick and all that kind of stuff. Uh, so it's going to take from a provider perspective, uh, meaning the physicians uh, who are used to doing this already in a current system to learn that process. And then the ones that are coming out of medical school and the nurses and all that to kind of be trained in their clinical setting, lack of a better word, or their classroom instruction somehow of this is the, it is part of the delivery of care, not in office only, but also virtual. That makes sense? Yeah. So I think the mindset is shifting because physicians are now part of the team as compared to um, being in charge, right? Mm. Um, the physician used to, you know, issue orders and people followed them. And now I think increasingly um, what we want to do is maximize every member of the team, have them operating at the top of their capacity and offload a lot of the burden that has fallen to physicians historically. So when the pandemic started, basically what they gave the, the physician was, you know, a video call, call on top of their EMR and said, have at it. Um, what we want to be able to do is say, well, wait a minute, does the physician need to do all of that stuff? Um, or can we offload it to somebody else? When you look at the satisfiers in um, healthcare delivery, the biggest dissatisfier for the physician is the administrative burden associated with the dealing with care. It's still so, the same. <laughs> yep. And so yeah. what we want to try to do is offload that administrative burden on the physicians as much as possible. Yeah. And that's still the same when I was running clinics in, in 2002, 2001, it's still, and it's still the same. And it's, it's interesting. A lot of professions have the same problem. Teachers, same issue administrative paperwork just it's just a, a nightmare um so it's exactly me too i don't like doing any of that <laughs> so you know uh, but it's just it's just part of it uh the um looking at uh all this kind of work like um when you walk into a doctor's office take us through a little bit about the medi guru kind of approach and the kind of like some of the mechanics um what i caught when i was reading uh, um, some of the documentation you provided was that everything that can be done in the office would be done pre-online like the the, the pre-workup, the history, the notes, insurance verification, meds, all that done online before your official quote-unquote check-in into right. the virtual exam right. room or office. So take right. us through a little bit about how many guru kind of works through a situation of a bad one, a bad workflow to kind of smooth that process with the new platforms and share a little bit about that. So I think a best example is I went to get my vaccinations at Safeway, the grocery store. I filled out the same paper form all three times. Um, when, we think, when we think of an in-person visit, it's not uncommon for us to hand a clipboard and a piece of paper to the patient. Mm -hmm. It's the same patient they filled out the last time, filled with the same um, misinformation because they forgot or whatever. Um, and so I think what we're trying to do is say, how can we off burden that? How can we give the appointment and all of the paperwork to the patient a week beforehand or a day beforehand and have them fill it out at their leisure or better yet, has anything changed since your last visit? Are you still on these medications? Right. Check, check, check. Done. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And, and, oh, by the way, we can then have the medical assistant validate mm -hmm. all of the non-clinical parts of that, 
we can have the patient raise their hand in a virtual environment if they have a question and chat with somebody on the team. Mm -hmm. um, all of that can be done well in advance. We can even do insurance verification, and which we're going to have to do with the No Surprise Billing Act. We have to make sure that this patient is in our network. That can all be done pre-visit pre, um, versus what we do right now, which is give the patient a clipboard, have them sit in a chair, and oh, by the way, after the visit, find out that they weren't supposed to get care here anyway because they're out of network. Oh. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, and that happens, I'm sure, a lot. Yes. Um, Wow. Yeah, that, 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 that's, um, that, that's excellent. Um, the, um, the, the, I guess the ideal um, people that decision makers that you would like to be speaking to, uh, whether it's a, you know, private practices that are underneath a health system, or mm -hmm. independent practices, although there's still, still a lot of them out there, by the way, um, that have not bought into the, 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 the you know, the network um, kind of infrastructure. So talk to us a little bit about, uh, you know, the ideal people sh that who should be talking to you, they have a pain point, they, you know, who is that, that ideal person? Yeah, I think, you know, I have my bias that it needs to be a physician leader or a chief medical informatics officer who's struggling with how to make life simpler. Mm -hmm. um, it can be a chief nursing officer who recognizes that the team isn't working functionally. Um, increasingly, I'm not sure is an administrator because I don't know that they understand the pain of providing the care at the front line. Um, if it is an administrator, I need to make sure there's a strong physician leader that's also going to change the behaviors of their peers. Uh, you know, physicians are natural skeptics. And um, sometimes, you know, when somebody comes in and says, we're gonna make a better flywheel for you, it turns out to be more complex, uh, but we wanna make sure that they yeah. have one of their peers that is basically telling them it's okay to jump in and, you know, let's, let's, start, let's start somewhere, right? Mm -hmm. so, so all the examples, I wanna make sure I understand, all the examples you raised seem to be, if I'm correct, uh, hospital, based kind of you could have a CNO hospital is what I think of uh that's just you know so, uh, so chief medical officer hospital is what I'm thinking of though they could be in a nursing home though you can have those two as well so were you really referring to hospitals when you just said that no okay uh, most of our clients are um large physician groups at risk okay gotcha right and they don't have a hospital affiliate well they they're affiliated with hospitals obviously right. they send their patients to hospitals but I think that group specifically is looking for a way to deliver high quality care at a lower cost. Mm -hmm. And so when they're willing to do that, they know that what they've been doing all along isn't working and they have to start changing the way in which they're delivering care. So large physician groups, then multiple unit locations, that kind of thing. Yes. Uh, some could be regional players, right? Right. Um, and, uh, and, um, that obviously could be hospital affiliated, but, um, you know, that, that, I got assume that's fine too. Um, but, uh, they see the pain point and want to, and obviously make things more, more efficient. Yeah. And, you know, I think the other thing we're having a lot of conversations with, um, like I said, home health agencies or nursing home agencies trying to understand what is your workflow? Why doesn't this work? How can we, how, you know, we just talked to somebody this morning that said, yeah, we bought virtual care for all of our nursing homes and nobody uses it. 
Well, let's figure out why that's happening. Well, there's a lot of reasons why it happens, but we know that when outcomes are looked at, people that didn't go back to the hospital for you know minor things uh-huh. or didn't deteriorate because they were able to be vir- cared virtually, um, that they have better outcomes. And so I think there's gonna be a lot of pressure on those types of facilities also to uh, require virtual care in the future. Yeah, I think that home health is clearly a, um, a major, a major an issue or the one the opportunities are there because they are i just know this they're extremely inefficient um they have they have all types of level of people that are doing different things and they're out in the field um you know it's it's i mean mapping software we got we we had a, a one of our other uh, conversations with somebody else the mapping software for outside sales can be applied to home health because of patients and where they are and just being more efficient. It's just a lot of stuff there that sounds like your platform would help um, from a, from a, and this is a SAS model, right? It's a monthly billable. Is it a per seat or per login kind of deal? Or is, it, or is it a license for the whole facility? How does that work? Yeah. So what we try to do is we, it can be priced per minute. Mm-hmm. But it's very quickly as a customer comes on board, they realize that that model isn't sustainable. Maybe, you know, once they start implementing it, price per minute, when there's a small group using it, but then it's really priced per team. So we don't, you know, if a physician, a nursing assistant and a nurse are are part of a team, we price it on a monthly basis per the number of teams that you have. So you can have seven people in a team and it's just one price for that team, not per head. Yes, okay. exactly. Gotcha. Uh, and well, that's kind of good because you can also pilot stuff yes. with, with, yeah. with, with a team, which is great. Right. right, exactly. And, you know, I think most everybody over the course of time is going to par down their team to maybe at most three people. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but but at, at least during the change process, we want everybody to buy off on it. And we don't want price to be a barrier. Yeah, and my experience has been that when I go to my provider, it's usually assuming the medical assistant hasn't changed. It's usually the same medical assistant serving the provider. They kind of they have the chemistry. They work well together. She, mm-hmm. she moves or how she the the doc the she moves how she moves. I mean, you know, they 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 kind of work well together, almost like a dentist with a dental assistant. Very similar right. in nature. They kind of understand each other uh, and make right. you know yeah, why change that? You know, what I mean, right, um, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, so that that's good. So, um, and it's a per month per team kind of mechanism, correct? Is there? Do you correct. guys do an onboarding training with the team on site? Is it all virtual, Zoom? Uh, <laughs> How's that work? <laughs> it's right now. It's all virtual. Um, right, right. Yeah, right. Under normal conditions. Um, yeah. Under normal conditions, we usually like to be at least uh, initially on site, um, just so that people get the hang of the tool, right? Um, but we spend a lot of time virtually, even in under normal conditions, you know, uh, it just, I I think it works out well. And then, you know, we sort of go in phases, um, a a user isn't going to make all the changes up front, you know, Mm -hmm. they're not going to blow up the whole system in which they deliver care. And so we usually start out with one piece of the delivery model and start to implement and innovate over time. So, um, and you're, uh, I'm assuming, uh, EMR agnostic, I, I suppose. Yes. Okay. So, because, you know, some of the 
Uh, Epic is a monster, right? In the healthcare on the hospital side. And there's a couple of other ones there. McKesson is doing some stuff and um, Cerner. And there's quite a number of different uh, EMRs. So you're agnostic to that. And does it yeah. really matter? You're more at the process, I guess, is what you're right. looking at. Okay. Process um, and integration. Right. Exactly. Exactly. No, that's, that's fantastic. Um, so as far as, uh, as far as the rollout for 2022, um, are you looking at particular of focuses across the country? Are you looking at, you know, like I say, physician practices and trying to work on home health? Uh, is there a area of focus for you um, uh, in 2022? Yeah, I think we're looking at large provider groups that are going at risk as of number one. You say going um, at risk, what do you mean? When, when they say, I'm going to deliver optimal care for you for $30 a month. Okay, got it. <laughs> Okay. Per patient per month, and thirty dollars is probably way under under score. Right. But as an example, I think we're also looking at um, we're we're carefully looking at what the value proposition is for home health, uh, skilled nursing, palliative care. We're we're not entirely sure that we found it there. Mm -hmm. There's an interesting um, model that's evolving in the market where um, companies are propping up providing preoperative services. Um, and I'll give you an example. Let's just say um, you are referred because you have knee pain. Instead of going to the orthopedic surgeon where, oh, by the way, you get a knee replacement, you're gonna go to this service where you'll get therapy, um, you may get depression screening, you have six weeks of physical therapy and miraculously 50, 30 to 50, or excuse me, 50 to 70% of the patients get better without surgery. So that lower cost improved outcome. Of the people that go to surgery, they're going to need virtual care afterwards, physical therapy, right. um, uh, occupational therapy. And so all of that stuff can be done virtually. And so, or a majority of it can be done virtually. And so we're looking at that type of model also. So I, I think, you know, I, as we look at the market increasingly, because the market dynamics are changing and because the finance is changing, mm -hmm. we're sort of I don't want to say following the money, but looking at the value proposition and making sure that we're consistent with that value proposition. No, that's great. Um, and you guys are, again, uh, based on the model, looking at it a lot differently um, uh, um, when it comes to um, integrating what you call the hybrid care delivery model, virtual care, and making it part of the actual care package for the patient, consumer, right. client. Um, and it's, it's actually, I've, I haven't seen it thought that way. Um, and, and, that's, and that's part of the challenge. You got to educate, you know, people on, on that, right? Um, well, exactly. And I think what, what, you know, when I went to medical school, everything was done on paper and um, it was easy to understand what was going on with the patient because there weren't a lot of silos of information. With the implementation of the electronic health record, the complexity of delivering of care got more complex the silos of information became more complex. And so what we're trying to do is step back and say, okay, well, how can we simplify it and make it sustainable? And sort of that's what we're trying to do. Wow, that's fantastic. Well, we're talking with uh, Mark Kessner, um, Chief Innovation Officer of Mediguru and their platform and, and what they're rolling out um, into the healthcare system and uh, hybrid care delivery model and looking at processes, streamlining things and uh, making our experience as patients better 
smooth and listen, I'm a busy guy. I love being able to check in online and do a virtual thing and I'm done. 20 minutes, write me a script. Bye. I, you know, I'm, <laughs> I'm, I, I'm, I'm the ideal candidate for high level executive care. With, right. There's groups that do that, by the way. All right. Yeah. You know, call doctors. All right, Gil, here. <laughs> we're, we're good. Yeah, bye. Uh, and yeah. I, and uh, I, I love what you guys are doing just because personally, I, I, I'd love to be in and out in, in, in 15, 20 minutes, you know, and not even have to leave, go to the office, stay yes. here. Right. So, so when we deliver our, when we look at our models, we look at it from three perspectives. We look at it from the patient's perspective. We look at it from the physician's perspective. We look at it from the team's perspective. Mm -hmm. And we try to pull data from each one of those to over time prove that we've made things better. Excellent. We get to the point now of, of, of our discussion. Uh, and um, we, we're not all about business and making money and, and you know, all those kind of things. So we get to the fun part here. Not that this wasn't fun, but, you know, get to the part about you and, uh, you know, and you a little bit personal. So uh, I'm going to ask you a couple of rapid fire questions. And you okay. Answer nothing complicated. Okay. <laughs> you being a doctor and all, you should be able to handle it. Okay. okay. <laughs> so that, that said, um, like coffee, hot or cold? Cold. Cold coffee. Okay. Uh, pizza. Are you a pizza eater? Uh, once a week. Once a week. Oh, oh not, not bad. Uh, burger? No. No burger. Okay. How about hot dogs? Uh, occasionally. Occasionally. Okay. Um, tell me about uh, your, I guess, your um, driving or your riding a bike or your working out regimen. Are you listening to a podcast? Are you listening to music? Are you listening to nothing? <laughs> you know, and just, so, just doing your so thing. Number one, I don't drive. I don't okay. even own a car. Okay. Uh, I live in Washington, D.C., and I walk probably a lot more than I should, 10 miles a day. Good for you. I, count my steps. And while I'm doing that, I'm listening to podcasts, I'm listening to the news, and I'm listening to music. All right. So a little bit of everything there. Okay, great. So before the, the pandemic, uh, were you a Netflix, not, not that you are now, Netflix, aren't Netflix, Amazon, Hulu, Screamer, or versus, a, you know, I want to go into the movie theater. I want to see a movie and have the experience, surround sound, popcorn, and, and a soda. No, before the pandemic, I was traveling and I was a Netflix user, um, but I was traveling every week a lot. Um, and then that suddenly just came to a screeching halt. Are you a binger uh, on Netflix? Uh, so on since the pandemic, um, my wife and I have stopped watching TV. Okay. <laughs> <Interesting>. <laughs> Yeah, so we don't we don't watch TV. In fact, I can't even remember the last time I watched TV. Um, we read books and I listen to podcasts and uh, listen to the news online. You a uh, are you a uh, Android or an Apple person? Apple. Apple. Okay. Creative element. Apple. You know, it's kind of good. So yeah, yeah, that whole that whole ecosystem. Uh, right. Yeah. Um, that tells us a lot about a person too. By the way, people don't realize that. Um, yeah. That that said, um, so if you had a um, and uh, this is not to be business related, okay? It could be, you know, personal. If you had a superpower, um, what would that superpower be? Oh. And you could take a second on that, okay? It's uh, Some people answer that question really quick, Mark, but they don't think about the, the, the complexity yeah. of, of something like that, the superpower. And you're a little bit different, a lot, actually a lot different because of what your <laughs> background is. You know what I'm saying? You know, so. Yeah. Um, so, so, yeah. 
So when I was in consulting, and this sound, this may sound a little off, but whatever. Off is good. Um, yeah. <laughs> there is a video called uh, Leadership Lessons from the Shirtless Dancing Guy. And I used to uh, go into the conferences and I would show that video and the executives would think I was crazy, right? I love it. Like, what, is this, what is this guy doing? And so... What, and, and I used to love it because it was this guy at a rock concert who was dancing and nobody was, everyone was watching him thinking he was weird. And then all of a sudden a person goes up and they start to translate what the shirtless dancing guy is for the rest of the crowd. And before the video is all over, everybody's dancing. So what I think I'd like as a superpower is the ability to make people change. Wow. Yep, that's, um, that's, that's admirable. Uh, thank you for sharing that story. And uh, so what was the name of the video? The leadership Lessons from the Topless Shirtless Guy? Is that what you said? No, Leadership Lessons from the Shirtless Dancing Guy. You have to look at it and it'll make you laugh. No, I will, I'm, I'm going to look at it and I may use it. I, yeah. I'm kind of like that. So um, and that's okay. So and the last thing, if you had the ability to go anywhere uh, in money and time, not an issue, mm -hmm. where would you go? Oh boy. Um, well, we've traveled pretty much all over the world. I hate to say that. That's good. Um, good for you. Yeah, I know we have. We lived in Germany. We've been to the Middle East or Far East. My wife grew up in the Middle East. Um, we've lived all over the United States. Um, I, I like Washington, D.C. Okay. And, and, and not, there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. Uh, and that's, that, that's okay. Um, yeah. And uh, Washington, D.C. Is, is lucky to have you. Yeah, well, thank you. That's good. That's a good thing. And you get to walk around there, too, a lot. Oh, yeah. <laughs> From what you said, yeah. Uh, well, listen, we've been talking to uh, to Mark um, Kessner from uh, MediGuru, the CIO. Listen, it's been great chatting with you. And you guys are doing some great, wonderful things there. Uh, and um, obviously, uh, if, if they want to get in contact with you, what is the best way to do that? If somebody wants to talk to you, reach you somehow, um, share some details for the audience so they can find you. Yeah, you know, I since um, I post a lot on LinkedIn. Okay. So the best way to get a hold of me is messaging me through LinkedIn. I think everybody knows that, uh, you know, everybody that sort of travels in professional circles has a LinkedIn profile. So I think reach out to me via LinkedIn. Excellent. Excellent. And that's fantastic. Um, well, listen, it's been great chatting with you. All the best um, to your organization, to MediGuru. I'm sure they are lucky to have you. Uh, your, your background is deep and interesting. Um, and I, I do wish you the best year this year that you've ever had there that you kind of blow yeah. the doors off and you bring on the clients and, you know, everybody's happy with what you're doing and you move and bob and weave as you need to grow this business. I, I wish you guys Thank all you. the best. Thank you so much. We're talking to you, buddy. All the best. Okay, man. Hey, bye-bye. You well. Bye-bye.